This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Tony Shebeki with you. You're also listening to us on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Big show coming up. We're going to speak to Todd Hazelwood shortly after re-signing with Brad Jones Racing. Dale Rogers will bring us up to date with everything that's been happening in the world of Formula One and also Mark Walker and Richard Crail to join us as well to have a chat about the world of supercars. But firstly, this week's news and supercars has tested a super soft Dunlop tyre which it hopes to use in the 2021 season and beyond. The test was held at Queensland Raceway with Janie Winkup driving the 888 Holden and Will Davison getting his first test of the DJR Mustang. With thanks to Supercars Media, here's Will talking about his day. Uh, it's, it's great to be here, obviously here for, for Supercars, um, you know, going through some, some tyre compounds for, for next year. Um, but for me to just get this out in the open, wear these colours, um, is obviously a, a great feeling. It's been a, a strange year, but uh, yeah, to be back where I started my career, um, you know, obviously a legendary team, um, a legendary number on the Mustang there behind me. and. Um, obviously uh, a team that's been doing a lot of winning in the last few years so um, you're obviously proud to be in these colours and uh, yeah very very excited to to get the ball rolling for next year um, after yeah many months of pondering what was um, going to happen next year I tell you I'm like a, a kid at the first day at school kid in a candy store it's uh, very very exciting and got my, my race face on already you know um, can't wait to uh, to get going you want the best team you want the best car and it's, um, it's, it's on me, but that, that's motorsport in general. I've been around it a long time, you know. There's always pressure to perform, so um, nowhere to hide. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't be happier um, to have such a, an awesome team, awesome car and professional show around me. And, um, yeah, not scared of anything. Just, just get in there and, and have a good crack and, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Obviously, the car's very well built, you know, lovely design and um, just getting used to it. Really, we're here for, for supercars today doing the longer race-type runs, focusing on getting um, you know, the, the data and knowledge they need for the tyre. But for me, um, there's always little differences um, in the cars. It's, 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 it's quite interesting to feel um, how each team tunes their cars and you know, approaches things. And um, you know, it's very hot here today. It's very slippery. Um, but uh, initial in, you know, inklings are obviously positive. The, the car's very good. Um, I had a pretty big smile on my face in my first few laps. Meanwhile, Davison's old boss, Phil Mundy, has confirmed that he has sold his racing entitlements contract to Brad Jones Racing, allowing the Albury-based team to keep their number of cars at four. The cool-drive Tim Blanchard wreck, which was at Brad Jones Racing, will now be used by Blanchard to form his own outfit. Mundy confirming on the Parked Up podcast that Blanchard's new team is the destination for his two Ford Mustangs as well, making sure that team has a car and also a spare to start the new year. Supercars this week also unveiling the Repco Supercars Championship logo and social media hashtags as part of its five-year naming rights partnership with Repco. Lewis Hamilton has claimed his seventh world championship on the weekend in Turkey. Dale Rogers has this report. G'day, Tony. It's often been said in Formula One, just add water and you'll have a great race. Well, we did again in Turkey last week at the Istanbul circuit. Indeed, we did have a great race. But uh, it was strange for a number of reasons. Firstly, uh, Pirelli uh, produced five compounds of slick tyres, which they bring three to each race meeting. Uh, in Turkey, they invented a new one. It was the intermediate slick. I don't think anyone's ever seen a tyre 
like Lewis Hamilton's at the end of the race, which was an intermediate, absolutely looking like a slick with a bit of the uh, tread on the outsides. Extraordinary that these tyres lasted, but it really was a, an incredible effort. So let's just have a bit of a look back at the, at the race. Great track, Turkey. Very, very new asphalt and very little stone in the asphalt. Very, very smooth surface. And of course, it was wet. It was all about Lewis Hamilton, though, wrapping up his seventh world championship title uh, in really what was an extraordinary performance. Started sixth on the grid, uh, got very close to Daniel Ricciardo at turn one, sent down into his teammate Orcon, and really probably looked like he was a P4 or P3, maybe a podium. On lap 34, he was actually in a podium position and then into the lead. It's his 47th consecutive race in the points. It's an extraordinary performance, and Lewis Hamilton's drive to win the World Championship was one fitting of a seven-time world champion. It really was a great performance. Racing point, uh, Lance Stroll, a brilliant effort in qualifying to put the what is effectively the 2019 version of Lewis Hamilton's car on pole position. But really, during the race, Stroll struggled. He's uh, set him intermediates after the wet's grain very, very quickly, uh, and he really then showed perhaps some immaturity or a level of frustration as he got belted around the ears as people passed him. Interestingly, his teammate, uh, Sergio Perez, on the same strategy, was brilliant. Uh, he really drove extremely well. He carved down the lead to, to Stroll. And how this guy may not have a drive in 2021 is beyond us. He did a great job. He comes with a lot of money from Claro, some 10 to $14 million apparently. So uh, is he a chance for Red Bull? Red Bull don't take pay drivers, but uh, at the moment, if I was uh, the good Dr Helmet, I'd be certainly thinking about Perez to team with Verstappen. Let's talk about Red Bull, their 300th Grand Prix, and one that Max really could have won. Uh, he, he was in the box seat. He drives very, very aggressively on occasions, and this time he got caught out. He was far too aggressive on Perez, had the lose of all losers uh, around the back of the circuit, and that really then was the, the end of Red Bull's race. For Ferrari, uh, well, the track and the weather, probably a great leveller to a car that's not a podium car, but both cars were really in the mix. Uh, Leclerc dropped it at the last corner after a stellar drive and trying to, trying to pass uh, Perez and then Seb just drove round them and, and grabbed the podium. Uh, really good effort from Sebastian Vettel. Nice to see him on the podium. Really nice to see him uh, acknowledge Lewis Hamilton's brilliant seventh win. Uh, of the rest, McLaren, probably the standout, started 14th and 15th on the grid and both cars right in the points. Uh, so McLaren looking strong. Their tyres came on really strong in those conditions as the intermediates deteriorated. The track was still wet, but some cars set up really found it and McLaren showed that they were really contenders. Unlike Renault, uh, and Dan Ricciardo struggled in 10th place. Couldn't light the tyres up, apologised for, for him being uh, pushed into Orcon. Not really his fault. Uh, but, you know, it was one of those days that Renault just couldn't turn the tyres on. Uh, he had some laps that were quick, some that weren't, and uh, he scrambled out at 10th place. It really has uh, changed the, both the Constructors' Championship and the Drivers' Points, which we'll talk more about next week when we head to Bahrain in two weeks' time for the first of a doubleheader. So, Tony, a couple of rounds to go. Lewis Hamilton is world champion. Uh, the only guy we didn't mention this week is Valtteri Bottas. I think the performance speaks for itself. He was all at sea. Uh, six or seven spins 
big effort from Bottas and Hamilton said he could not believe when he saw the blue flags for the car he was about to lap was his teammate. Uh, that's it, Tony. Back to you in the studio. Look forward to speaking Formula One again in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Dale. Johan Murr has claimed the 2020 MotoGP World Championship title with one round to spare, with a gutsy ride in the Valencia MotoGP to put the series out of his rival's reach. The title victory comes in only his second season of MotoGP competition and only his fifth full season of GP racing, and in a year where anything that could happen generally did happen. Murr is now 29 points ahead of Yamaha's Franco Morbidelli in second and Suzuki's Alex Rins in third, Aussie Jack Miller eighth in the championship with just one race to go. And a rare piece of Australian motorsport history has turned a wheel for the first time on home soil at Queensland Raceway this week. The Ford Fusion NASCAR, which Marcus Ambrose drove to his first win in NASCAR competition, was back on track for the first time since it went to Victory Lane in Watkins Glen in the US in 2008. The number 59 STP Ford sat in storage in an old workshop in Charlotte, North Carolina for more than a decade before being mechanically rebuilt last year and shipped to Australia. The car is owned by Australian motorsport entrepreneur and Marcus Ambrose's former media manager, Brett Crusher-Murray. He relocated it to the Gold Coast, where it's been in storage at the Norwell Motorplex, before being serviced in preparation for this week's exhibition sessions. Well, pretty remarkable day. I mean, this car sat in a warehouse in America for 12 years. We managed to get it back, pull, put it back together, and uh, it's in its rightful home, I guess. First time it's run in Australia. And uh, I think it's spectacular to see it on track. There's a lot of guys out here today from the industry that were up against the pit wall watching it go around, and I think uh, Brody Kostecki did a fantastic job. Crusher speaking there. Brody Kostecki was the lucky driver given the opportunity to cut laps at QR in this beautiful looking car. Yeah, it was um, you know, great to be back in a full-blown NASCAR. So this was obviously Marcus's you know, first race-winning car and um, it's definitely brought back a lot of memories of mine and um, it definitely put a smile on my face when I uh, mashed the throttle pedal. Uh, these have a lot more power, uh, a lot less aero. Um, you know, they also still have a diff in the rear and um, they don't have a spool, so um, both rear wheels actually unlock. So um, they actually drive, you know, really well. And, um, you know, you can see why this car won a race and, you know, why, um, you know, Marcus went so well. Well, we are at Queensland Raceway today and it's absolutely stinking hot and it's ran flawlessly all day. So that shows how good the Americans can, you know, build a race winning car. So kudos to them. And, um, you know, it's in great nick and, and you know, it was, you know, really fun to drive. Oh, I actually thought it was sort of a bit of a dream come true again. So, um, you know, you definitely, um, you know, especially at the moment with COVID and everything, um, you know, it's pretty hard to go to America. So somehow Crusher brought America to me. So, you know, definitely put a smile on my face. You can follow the auction of this car by heading off to speedcafe.com. That's the news. Let's get into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining us for a chat after re-signing with Brad Jones Racing is Todd Hazelwood. Todd, congratulations and well done. Thank you, Tony. It's having me back on the show again. And yeah, really excited. 2021, it's been a, a bit of a breakthrough season at BJR and yeah, excited for the future. It's been a massive uh, year for you, mate. Uh, I remember this time last year we were talking, I think, on the podcast about what the plans were for 2020 and things were still very much in the air after two years at Matt White Racing. And uh, it'd be, it's nice for you now to go into your Christmas break knowing exactly what 2021 holds. Oh, you're 100% right. Yeah, being part of the silly season for the first time last year was uh, very stressful, to say the least. Um, yeah, it was very 
a lot of nervous nights and um, a lot of sleepless nights as well. And um, yeah, it, you know, to have the future secured, you know, well and truly before Bathurst, you know, doing the deal with Brad and Brad's a very smart, but simple operator. He's a racer himself. He understands the importance of, you know, having these things um, done and sealed and delivered. And um, yeah, couldn't be happier to continue my, uh, my, my venture in the supercars program with BGR. I've really enjoyed my time. And to be honest, with that, you know, with all the complications and challenges we've had in 2020, it's been by far my most enjoyable year of racing. So, yeah, really looking forward to the future. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, mate. It's been our most enjoyable year watching you because we've actually seen you grow into a, a, a proper racer in this category. Your uh, first podium, of course, uh, in Sydney earlier this year, 17th in the championship. I'm assuming that the uh, contract negotiations weren't that tough. It was all pretty simple and uh, it all spoke for itself yeah look you know obviously from my point of view I certainly didn't want to leave and and Brad was really happy with our third, first year you know I think we both agreed that you know 17th wasn't a true representation of how solid our first year together was and, you know I think we had a a few things not go our way which you know really hurt us with a, a couple good key results that we could have banked some good points um, we had a few mechanical failures which hurt us as well but no, overall, the potential is there. And as I keep saying, the fruit's all there, ready to go. We just need to capitalise now, put it all together for the following year. And um, we've learnt in some instances what not to do, which is really important for consistency. So I feel like year two is really important for me to, yeah, really put it all together and, and showcase what we re- what you know what the whole team at BGR have, have, are really capable of doing. So yeah, uh, can't wait. There were a lot of ups, there's no doubt about that. And without a doubt, the podium in Sydney was probably the biggest, that, that first time of doing that. There was also some downs as well. And talk us through that Darwin and Townsville period, which was a, a pretty lean time and a pretty tough time for your car and your crew. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, we obviously we come off the back of a, a couple of mechanical failures, um, yeah, which really hurt us. Um, but that, in saying that, that's, that's not that's not discrediting the crew at all. You know, they worked tremendously hard during the time that we're on the road and we're pretty limited with what we were able to achieve during that time. And the way we, we turned it around, obviously we had a bit of a foreign slump at, at Darwin and we knew that there was something more than, and, and just the way that we're tuning the car, there was a fundamental issue that we struggled to get on top of with initially. And that was just purely based around, you know, how the event was ran because fast paced event, you don't get the chance to really, um, make many changes to the car during during the course of those weekends, the way the new schedule was working. So yeah, it really put the pressure on the crew, but they did a great job. And obviously we we went from qualifying on the back row of the grid at Darwin to then a pole position a couple of weeks later at Townsville. So, you know, obviously we had our we had our bad times, but I think what we were most proud about was how we bounced back and um, we got back on top of the issues that we had and, and we showed great pace and good form. Certainly did, and showing great pace and great form was your teammate Nick Perkat. An amazing year for him, as well. And combined with the two of you and the other boys, the four cars that were running for BJR, it was a year that yeah, will should set a nice foundation for two thousand and twenty-one to uh, to springboard off. Oh, one hundred percent right. Yeah, you could arguably say Nick's had his best championship year to date um obviously a couple of race wins a few podiums a pole position for him as well um so yeah he, he's got a lot to be proud of this year you know to, got to remember he was third in the championship for most of this year as well so i think that for me that's something to be really excited about to know that that's certainly the level that we need you know i personally need to be at and having someone to benchmark myself off obviously to, to nick's caliber and experience has been really helpful for me this year and 
obviously I want to try and add value to that as well. I don't want it to just be all about Nick being at the front. I want to try and compliment him and help him as well and, and try and push the whole team forward. And I think we've been able to do that well this year. Um, and, and I think it's shown, you know, when we've, when car 14 has been on its pace, we've just been, we've been able to match him and, and be at the front as well. So for me, that's a big, I suppose, a personal goal of mine is to have more consistency being, being, you know, consistently at the front and, and trying to push the whole team forward because, yeah, as you said, it's a big outfit. You know, you've got one of the biggest teams in the, in the supercars pit lane and, you know, we're, we're a hungry bunch. We all want to succeed and, and do well in this category. And, um, yeah, I feel like we've got the right mix of obviously a little bit of experience and a bit of youth. And obviously that hunger there is the key thing to keep pushing the whole team forward. I see that uh, a story coming out today that uh, Phil Mundy has confirmed that he sold his, uh, his rec, his racing entitlement contract, to Brad Jones Racing. Uh, Tim Blanchard also confirmed to have taken the two Mustangs that Phil had. So that takes that Blanchard car out of Brad Jones, which we knew was going to happen, and uh, keeps the team at four cars now with the new wreck, which is good value. Oh, and the best thing moving forward is that we're one of only few teams up and down pit lane that's got a stable lineup with all, you know, with the drivers moving forward. So that's something for us that's a I think a big thing, you know, to keep growing the team, keep, you know, trying to move the team up, up the, you know, pointy end of pit lane. And I think, you know, as you said before, we've taken a significant step this year of the crew, you know, and that's based off the results we've achieved, but ultimately trying to, you know, it would be Macaulay's third year in the championship next year. So I think he's got a lot, for, a lot to look forward to. And obviously for myself being second year of the team, I think, yeah, 2021 is, is, um, you know, going to be a big year for the whole crew at BJR. There's been some changes around the place, hasn't there? Uh, the grid's going to look, different next year there's no doubt about it Scotty McLaughlin making his way over to America and uh, Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale getting the the rides there at uh, DJR and there's probably still a couple more changes to be made yet as well it's uh, it is an exciting time there's no doubt about it for a fan at this time of year just waiting to see how everything falls yeah, and I think, yeah, as you said, there's still more more to play out with the silly season. There's a few rumours circulating up and down pit lane. And um, yeah, I think, you know, as you said, the sport's in a fantastic place. We've secured our five-year deal. We've got some awesome events coming up for next year. And we've been able to get through the toughest of times of COVID. So I think the sport's in a great place. The racing's been awesome this year. And going to next year where you've had some, we, we have driver move, movement. We've even, even had some team movement. We've obviously Penske pulling out and, and changing their direction and, and and commitment to supercars. So I think, yeah, next year has got a, a lot of uncertainty. So I think from a, a spectator point of view, it's going to be really exciting. And, you know, for us at BGR, you know, as I said, you know, we're one of only few teams that's actually got a stable lineup. So I feel like for us, that's surely got to be some advice. You spoke about rumours. You haven't seen Dave Reynolds walking around the factory by any chance, have you? Uh, no, I haven't seen uh, Dave at B- BGR. But, um, yeah, obviously there's a fair bit of speculation surrounding his name at the moment. Yeah, I think fortunately from a BJR point of view, we're all pretty solid, solidly locked away. Um, obviously, there's a few announcements come out yet, but you know, obviously from Nick's point of view, my point of view, we're all sorted and 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 done and dusted. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what uh what he plays out. Um, obviously the announcement of Rick Kelly retiring, um, and there's potentially rumours surrounding the whole Erebus lineup. So uh, yeah, who knows? It's certainly going to be a fascinating couple of weeks leading into Christmas of um. You know, who, who, who lands a seat where? And it's certainly musical chairs out there at the moment. Yeah, it certainly is. Mate, a final one on this year before I just uh, tap your thoughts on the Adelaide 500 as well, which I know you're so passionate about. From a team point of view, from a category point of view, from a driver's point of view, how much of this year can be taken as a really 
a big learning curve for 2021 and beyond? Or was this year just that extraordinary that you just put it behind you and move forward? I don't think it's, you know, necessarily put it behind us and move on. I think we've actually, like you said, we've actually learned a lot from a category point of view this year, you know, obviously reducing our operation costs throughout the season and not actually affecting the overall product from what is seen on TV and an entertainment point of view. I think that's a big thing to take away from this year. Obviously, we, we, we did personnel cuts at the events. We had limited data access at the racetrack. Um, and even the, even the event schedule was completely different to what we've seen before when we returned back racing after going through the COVID period. So I think, you know, from Supercar's point of view, they've learned a lot. And we've been able to adapt and, and actually, as I said, we haven't affected the overall entertainment point of view. And I, I think from my point of view, that's, that, that's a big thing to take away. If we can reduce costs, but at the same time still put on a fantastic show for our, our sponsors, our partners and supporters and fans watching at home, um, there's no reason why we can't do more of the same moving forward. But you know, keeping at the forefront of mind, the sport needs to be entertaining because if it's not entertaining, people won't tune in and watch it and support it. So I think that's the key thing to take away. And I think that's going to be an interesting talking point moving into Gen 3, obviously, in 2022. And I really hope, um, you know, that those elements are taken into consideration because I thought, you know, the changes that they made during, you know, post-COVID period was actually really good for the sport and good for the teams as well. And, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, from my point of view, it was great, you know, having different um, types of events leading in throughout the year with different uh, schedules. You know, obviously, we were racing back-to-back race weekends at the same event i actually really enjoyed it just purely going racing and you know not having this awkward two or three week break in between events where you're trying to manage everything else it was just all about racing so from a driver point of view i loved it um but obviously that's you know not we're not really sustainable as a supercar's point of view to be traveling around the country and and just living out of a suitcase for that sort of period so yeah i think we'll we'll take it all into consideration moving forward and yeah i'll be interested to see what they come up with in the future um but yeah i think you know the best thing was that as I said, the entertainment point of view was still amazing. The, the racing was the closest it's ever been. And I think with the, the sprint format, I think it was the right distance where not having a fuel race, it, it doesn't, from a driver's perspective, it doesn't, you don't think about, um, you know, the long-term strategy. You know you have to make passes. You know you have to be aggressive in those first few laps because rather than having a, a 15 to 20-second pit stop, you've only got, you know, a two-and-a-half to four-second window yeah. Um, and everyone's on the same strategy. So it, it really comes down to pushing hard in those first few laps. The qualifying rules really mixed it up as well. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of you know small little key rule changes really mixed it up this year, which was great to see. The Adelaide 500, mate, uh, home event for you. Gutted that it's not there in 2021? Oh, mate, I think speaking on behalf of all people involved in motorsport and in particular South Australians where – absolutely devastated you know we've lost the most iconic event that south australia has ever been fortunate enough to have in their, in their own backyard and you know, obviously for myself being a proud south aussie and being you know going to the event since 1995 since i was born it was the first place i did a, a lap around a racetrack at six weeks old um so yeah for me personally it holds it means a lot to me and it's close to my heart and that's why i fell in love with the sport was because of going to adelaide 500 as a kid that was the one event that i always went to from a supercars point of view that was the one time of the year I got to see my heroes and, and get that touchy-feely aspect going to the racetrack every year. So, yeah, it's, it's a big loss for the state. And, you know, particularly you know, from a South Australian point of view, it's a big loss to the, to the economy, to the, the South Australian businesses. And we've just been smashed with COVID during the pandemic and particularly that pubs and clubs and hotel motel sector where we've been limited travel. We haven't had events. 
And there'd be no better way to rebound for those people having an event like the Adelaide 500 with obviously, you know, limited access having um, with the international travel, you know, we need events within our own, our own country to, to put a show on and yeah, to lose the Adelaide 500, you know, simply don't understand the decision. Um, obviously they've got their own agenda that they're trying to support and, and, and support and, and try and make happen. But yeah, it doesn't sit well. Obviously people involved within motorsport because it's a massive loss for our sector and, and for South Australia as well, I think. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well said, mate. Final one for you. Uh, what are the next three or four months hold? A good break? Oh, look, still trying to work hard. I actually did a race in a go-kart on the weekend, which was a bit of fun. But at the same time, still trying to keep my mind active because it's actually it will be quite a long off-season. Um, from Normally, we'd still be racing at this time of the year all the way up to the start of December. Um, so, yeah, for me, still got the racing forefront of mine. Um, I'll, I'll probably have a little bit of time off over December uh, leading into Christmas. But other than that, it will be um, yeah, fully focused on making sure I'm fit and ready to go um, come 2021. And, yeah, can't wait for uh, what next year holds for us. We love the time you always give us on this podcast, mate. Thank you so much for doing it. Congratulations on re-signing early for 2021. And now you can put your mind at ease and uh, just focus on what hopefully will be your biggest and best year yet. Oh, thank you very much, Tony. Yeah, cannot wait. And um, always a pleasure to have a chat on the show. So uh, look forward to next time. Todd Hazelwood joining us here on The Grid. Joining us for a chat, as they always do, Richard Crail and Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Hello, boys. Gentlemen, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you might be listening around this insane world. Nice to be with you for another week. Uh, Richard Crail, good to see you're inside there and socially distanced from the rest of South <laughs> Australia. We're all good, mate. We're all good. Uh, early days, but promising signs uh, that things are going to be okay. But uh, it's not ideal, is it? Victoria, oh. said, Victoria said over a whole heap of security guards to help. Oh, lordy. Yeah. Should be fine. Yeah. Well, hopefully we learned our lesson from what you guys went through earlier this year. So uh, over there in Victoria. No, 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 all good. My, uh, I, I refuse to leave the Brosser Valley and uh, no, no cases have been reported anywhere near me. So, um, but that's just my standard week anyway. I refuse to yeah. leave the Brosser Valley. Why, why would you? Let's be honest. Australia pinned Queensland as the place that was going to absolutely stuff it. And to celebrate us not stuffing it, we're going to jam 50,000 people into Lang Park on Wednesday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, lads. Yeah, just, just keep nice and socially distant in the most crowded stadium that has happened in 2020. Yeah, it, it seems it, it's tempting disaster, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's a, a good way of testing whether uh, anything is going to happen or not, I suppose. But. Anyway, we're here to talk motorsports. Uh, been an interesting week in supercars. Not much has happened. Uh, it was great to hear Todd Hazelwood just before talk about uh, his renewal. And I, I said to him, which, uh, which you may have heard in the interview, that this time last year, I think we spoke to him and everything was so up in the air and he didn't know what was happening when he left Matt Stone Racing. So good for him now to be able to put his head down and focus on 2021. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I, I'm I'm pleased. Like we all we all like Todd. It's impossible to not like Todd, I think, in the championship. He's just a really good young bloke who's come up through the ranks and we've all followed the story and we all know it so well. So I thought it was very good. Seventeenth in the championship. 
uh, a third place in Sydney two, which was an outstanding result. A couple of shootouts along the way um, really showed the potential there in an up and down year for Brad Jones racing, but again, a, a pretty solid debut year there. And it feels like there's good things building at BJR. They've got Nick Perkett locked away on a long-term deal, pinned down Hazelwood for a second year. So that's the core of their race team at the moment from, from an experience point of view and Todd heading into his third full season. So that that's a pretty good two pronged attack. And then they'll obviously build out from there. And there's some news around um, racing entitlement contracts and BJR this week. So it's a good signing. And Todd's one of those group of young drivers that our sport needs to, to keep around because he's got a following, he's got an audience, he's got a, a social media base um, and he's got a fan base and people people enjoy him and, and follow him and that's what the sport needs. So that young group, you know, like your Brycey forwards coming into it, people like that are really important for our game and it's a good signing. He's a good chat. Always a good chat. You love to hear from him. He always, uh, he always says the right things. For mine, 2020, him having teammates, finally having some data mm-hmm. to bounce off. And so, sometimes I thought that, at Matstone Racing, he overdrove it. He overdrove it a bit, but having someone like Nick Perkat, where you can yardstick yourself against, mm. you can pull it back a bit. You know, sometimes you have to go a little bit slower to go faster. And to have Nick Perkat, who he did really, really well this year, and that that team having his markers to go off, it really did chin up Toddy. So uh, having more experience rolling into next year won't hurt, and uh, expect some good things. And I should mention too to our listeners that we just had to do a little bit of an edit on the interview because Todd's phone died halfway through it. He's currently up in Bundaberg where the temperature's 38 degrees. <laughs> he was sitting in the car to get out of the workshop yeah. and the phone literally melted. It came up with a message, please cool down your phone. Now, Shebex, <laughs> we've, we've got um, a, a big audience who he listens to on the grid in uh, the UK, especially via friends at Radio Show Limited. Um, and they're just entering into winter, obviously. Now, as we speak in London, as as we record this, it's early, early morning, yep. and it's nine degrees in London, where uh, Radio Fahrenheit or Celsius is based. No, C, 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 okay, C degrees. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. 38C, what, 115 Fahrenheit for um, in American? Yeah. Um, but like that's just unheard of. And and yes, in Australia, our phones shut down because they get too hot because the air is too hot. They're nothing else to it's got nothing to do with overuse or anything. That's what no. happens here. It's I, like, I think just having Shebeki on the line, that is enough to melt well, phone down, true. isn't it? Really? True. I mean, it's amazing my computer's still going as it is now, <laughs> just to be part of this conversation. It, it's always something that you need to be careful of when you're talking, whether whether you talk about the C word or the F word, because temperatures can totally be <laughs> wow misconstrued, can't they? <laughs> Yeah, well, we we do tick the this is child friendly box on the podcast yes, we when we did. upload it, don't we? So we need to be careful with the C or the F word. We certainly do. So great to have Todd on board. And you mentioned the uh, wreck situation. We can let people know uh, that as of uh, today, that uh, Phil Mundy, who of course had the wreck that Will Davison was driving with early in the year, until that operation shut down thanks to uh, the Milwaukee sponsorship not being available anymore. That wreck has now been sold. The racing entitlements contract has been sold to Brad Jones Racing. So that effectively takes over from the racing entitlement contract that has left Brad Jones Racing and has become a part of uh, Tim Blanchard's new operation, whatever that may be. We do know, though, that they have picked up two Mustangs as part of that uh, operation as well. 
Yeah, so th- there's two stories that sort of emerged from one chat, our friends over on the Parked Up podcast, um, and we have actually talked to them about a crossover at some point, and they're quite keen to do that. So we need to get onto that before the year is out. Yep. Um, yeah, so two two bits of news came out of that. One was that Phil Monday, who owned that wreck, one of the 24 that allows you to go racing in supercars at the moment, has been sold to Brad Jones. So BJR has got that so they can continue with four cars because – the Blanchards, who own the Cool Drive license that Macaulay, uh, Macaulay Jones raced this year, have taken that to do their own thing. So the second part of that news was that those two Ford Mustangs that Phil Monday owns have gone to the Blanchards on a lease deal. So they'll run a single car. They'll have a spare in the background for next year as well, which is great. Good machinery. Tickford car should be fast, was fast in the hands of Will Davison at the start of the year. Uh, and we saw what happened with the rest of the season as well. So that's a good box. And the other one was that he basically, Mark, confirmed in that chat that the Blanchards would be doing their own thing. It hasn't actually been announced yet, but he dropped in there that they'd be setting up their race team out of Box Hill, which is where Cool Drive is based. That's their factory uh, in Victoria. So a few little nuggets of news came out of that chat, but it's it's a, a good thing just to get a, a full stop on some of those movements behind the scenes to get the 2021 grid sorted. Obviously, the cool drive arrangement, they have to uh, announce their driver and there's still some decent drivers out there floating around. There's a fair bit still to play out in the whole silly season side of things. Uh, What happens with Rex? Will there be a couple more Rex come onto the market? What will Tickford do? Because they're down to three Rex at the moment and they've got four drivers essentially signed up, ready to roll, but they just uh, don't quite have everything lined up in the public at the moment. So I'm interested to see how that pans out. Also, Matt Stone Racing have said they want to go to three cars next year. Where are they going to get that wreck from? It'll have to be one of those two that are in storage at the moment at supercars. Well, that's an interesting one, actually, in regards to Tickford. Do they buy the wreck or will that become a boost purchased wreck for James Courtney? Well, but does the wreck get sold? This is the, the, the big question is that there's 24 licenses available now. And if I own a license right now that's currently running in the championship, I don't want any more released because the more licenses in the field, the more cars in the field, the lower my cut of the revenue and and the kickback I get for owning a wreck, um, that reduces because it's divided by the number of cars in the field, the number of licenses currently operating. So there's 26 wrecks licenses in existence, 24 of them being used. Two of them are parked with supercars. They can be sold, but, yeah, with, with the current state of the financial game, especially going into a year when I'm, as a team owner, going to be building at least, if I'm a two-car team, two new cars for season 22 with Gen 3 regs coming up, I don't want my slice of the pie to be diminished. I want to see the field capped at where it is so my share of the pie goes up. I do love pie um, and can have more of that. Just, just to go back to the Blanchard thing, let, let's finish a chat on that. Who do you get? Who do you get to drive it? Oh, give me give me some thoughts. The, the two most talked about names linked with that car are Tim Slade and Fabian Coulthard, who would both be very solid um, solid gets, I would have thought, boys. You need, you need an experienced driver. You seriously do. As a single car team? Yeah. Mm. You, you can't go with a, a new face. And that car's been, unfortunately, towards the back of the field for too long. And if they're running it on their own now, they, they definitely need an experienced man. So those two names are the most obvious, without a doubt. Yeah, i, I got nothing to add. Mm. <laughs> It'd be interesting <laughs> to see how it pans out. Because, I mean, obviously, 
companies like Cool Drive or Super Cheap Auto or, or Repco, they've got a lot of other automotive brands involved, which they can lean on. The super mm. cheap thing for so long has been underpinned by all of these other little stickers you see on the car from all the brands that get some sort of deal through super cheap, whether it's a trade terms thing, whether it's a placement in store, whether it, whatever it is that super cheap uh, upsell or on sell or pass on to these other little sponsors, essentially mm. super cheap aren't paying for the whole car. It's all these other little brands that are involved and cool drives in a similar situation where they've got so many of the, the suppliers to their business that they can tap into and, and leverage a relationship. So mm. it'd be interesting to see how it all pans out. You know, hopefully it's a well-funded thing. They can have good kit. Obviously, Tickford things are good kit. Mm. And if they've got a good driver that can back that up, that can only be a good thing for the championship. Can I can I theorize something that hasn't, I don't think it's been brought up. It, it may have been, but if it has, I haven't read it. So you, you mentioned Tickford, obviously they're in the buy and they need four cars. Well, I have read the theory in the press that that car, while being run and prepared out of Cool Drive's own, HQ at the track, it essentially becomes the fourth Tickford car in the same way the Milwaukee car was as well. So that arrangement continues, which gives Tickford their four. But so Dave Reynolds, we reckon's out at Erebus. It's it's been talked about for weeks now, months, if not. Um, he's been linked to Brad, but there was an acrimonious dispute there when he left. And I don't think things were entirely rosy when he left Tickford either, but there was also it, a linking to the Kellys as well, which well wasn't... that well that too. Well, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Um, but wouldn't it be wouldn't it be interesting if he goes to that car and and if you're Tim Blanchard and you're building your own race team, you're out in your own cool drive racing, you want a high profile driver. So maybe Reynolds, who's one of the top five best known drivers in the championship, maybe you go for Reynolds, you grab him, slot him back into Tickford at an organization proven to put cars at the front of the field, even under that customer model, like the Monday deal at the start of the year, it's not outside the realms of possibility for all of them. And they're old Formula Ford mates. So, so who knows? Then let me throw this to you. Does that mean that Peter Adderton takes boost to Erebus? Well, that's been talked about for a little while, hasn't it? Yeah, but well, but it he's locked in. He's locked in with Courtney for another year at Tickford though. That's, yeah, that's but- already been announced. But Reynolds hasn't burned a bridge at Brad Jones. He hasn't been at Brad Jones before. No, it was Kelly's, wasn't it? That he it was did. Kelly's. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, I correct myself there. Yeah. So that that's interesting. And I mean, people have rumoured what's uh, Penrod doing. Mm. You know, if Penrod do they follow has, him, do they follow him? Mm. Do you, do they have two cars worth of Penrod at Brad Jones? Wouldn't that be a good thing? That solve that revolving door that they have over at Percat's car, or you know, mm. it would shore up one of the other cars there between Hazelwood and Percat. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. Be a, a very good team. team. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a race team? Well, yeah, and you know what? Third year for Macaulay Jones in the category, he's obviously going to be a lot better than what he, he he's getting better as he goes along. But well, is he going to be there? He won't have a ride though, Shabbat. Oh, because true too, yeah. if we're talking about if we're talking about Reynolds going to Brad Jones, per, um, with Penwright going to Brad Jones as well, um, Jack Smith is locked in because yeah. the the Smith family owns the SCT Racing license. That'd be the fourth car alongside Percat and Hazelwood. Be a bloody good team. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Macca may be the one mm. on the outside looking in. But but Brad Jones has still got half a dozen DVS cars sitting in their workshop collecting dust. So it wouldn't be a massive step for Macca to step back to Super 2 for a year, run there. Smoke them. A, yeah, smoke them and be a very good, 
experienced, sharp guy for what we think might be only one endurance race again next year at Bathurst. So, good point. And you'd put him in with Percat at, at the pointy end of, of the field to have a real shake at, at Bathurst to make up for the horror run this year. So maybe we're all theorizing here, but it all makes a lot of sense, I think, with, with what we're talking about for sure. Hmm. Very, very good point. Very interesting situation. We should talk about the uh, tyre test that we had earlier this week as well. Of course, uh, Dunlops and uh, Dunlop and Supercars testing out the super, super, super soft. And it was given the opportunity to uh, Jamie Winkup and Will Davison to get out there and do it. For Will Davison, what a great opportunity for him to finally jump into one of those Dick Johnson racing Mustangs and actually... Uh, learn a little bit about them mm. free test day isn't it to yeah. uh, to get himself acclimatized with the team meet the new faces that are there build a rapport with his engineer with ludo with everyone around him just and just like he talked to us on the show thanks to doric um get the ergonomics of the car right without having to burn a test day trying to get the seating position perfect or the seat insert steering position gear shift position all of that um very, very valuable day. I would have thought they've had a ride day since then as well. So plenty of laps at Queensland Raceway pounding around. Um, feedback solid, I think, so far from the soft tyre. I saw some quotes from Jamie Winkup saying it was a, a move in the right direction. And Jamie was his usual political self and, and said, you know, we all want a gripped up race car. We can push hard for 100 laps without any deck. But from a show point of view, we want a tyre that falls off the cliff and the cars are sliding around. And he said it certainly did that. So, yeah, but we spoke to Kevin Fitzsimmons earlier this year, didn't we, boys, yeah, about, we did, yeah. about the, the Ubersoft tyre. And um, it, it certainly looks like that's being pushed hard. So we, I don't think Dunlop get enough credit for the work they do with supercars. It's tough being a control tyre supplier because you're either rubbish or you get forgotten and you don't get talked about it. The Grand Prix on the weekend was the perfect example. Everyone, everyone bitched and moaned about Pirelli not being able to switch the tires onto the racetrack because the surface was so horrible. But if the tire was brilliant, no one would have talked about them at all. But I think they've done a super job and, and always trying to improve the show. And I thought this year was proof that they're willing to, uh, to take a risk and take a punt and offer up a subpar product for the sake of, for the sake of the racing, for the sake of the product. Because the last thing a tyre brand wants is to advertise how quickly their tyres wear because that's not the idea for to get people to buy them. But it's what makes good motor racing. I don't know how that tyre test would have gone down because it would have been 300 degrees Celsius. That's yeah. the C out there. The grill of the car would have filled up with flies. Yep. Uh, it would have been like trying to test tyres on lino. I don't think it would have been a great track surface, but... Uh, yeah, well, still, I mean, a good, a good test, I suppose. But one of the tracks that Jamie singled out was Darwin, and yeah. and of all the rounds this year, that was a round that needed a super soft yeah, tire because yeah. the racing was a bit flat there. So, running in a million degrees, that's a pretty good test for for top end. So, yeah, good point. I'm sure they would have pulled some pulled some valuable stuff out of it. And I like that Jamie's driving the car as well. Obviously, Shane's back in in New Zealand now, and I'll touch on that in just a sec as well. Um, but Jamie on the commission. So not only can he report to the team and to Dunlop what the tires like, but he can take it straight to the top of the actual <laughs> people who make the rules to supercars. So it's kind of convenient having, having a, uh, a current commission member who's making the rules for the championship, having his finger in the pie going, right. Oh, well, this is exactly what it's doing. I can report straight back as to whether it's a yes, we introduce it or no, we don't. 
I, and I hadn't thought about that until I saw him testing the car. So it's actually quite a good thing. Surely they rename his nickname now. He's not J-Dub anymore. He's the boss, isn't he? The boss. Well, <laughs> on the commission, co-owns the team, seven-time champion, GOAT. He's the he's got, boss. He's got to stop chucking away Bathursts and, yeah, sure. Uh, you mentioned his teammate, Shane Van Gisbergen, a, a, a great uh, drive for him on the weekend. Well, boys, did you catch the onboard footage yeah. that he shared of his the Battle of Jack's Ridge? It was amazing. Um, we've talked about supercar drivers doing crossovers into other forms of racing, and Scotty's going to IndyCar. Someone get Shane a WRC cameo when the WRC returns to this part of the world. God, he can drive. How good was that? What a good concept for an event too, by the by. I don't know if you boys followed it closely, but I had a, a good look and good friend of the show, Greg Rust, was there calling it for Sky Sports NZ. Um, 64 cars, I think they started with, and it was an elimination format. So a round of 32, then a round of 16, and then eight. And then it was a basically knockout like a tennis tournament um, down to a final runoff at the end, which Shane won on a two and a half K dirt stage, which was custom made in someone's paddock just to the south of Auckland, which was going to be the power stage for the World Rally Championship round this year that got boned because of COVID. Um, so they put this single day event on, sold out all of the tickets for it. I think there were 10,000 there. Wow. Um, and, but what a cool event. It just, it looked awesome. And um, that, that's how you get rallying to the masses. Forget the long stages, just run a super sprint style event, a short stage and get heroes like SVG to have a massive dip. You're on board with me, Richard, Rallycross. Yeah. As a concept, it is yes. sick. It is a really cool thing. It's yeah. just a shame that uh, for whatever reason, it hasn't kicked off. But uh, out of all sorts of motorsport, it's got so much potential. You know, you yeah. look at jumpy trucks. It's just a made-for-entertainment product. Yeah. Rallycross, it, cool cars, cool tracks. That are, There's so many possibilities out there around Australia. You pick any racetrack, you could turn into a rallycross track easily. Mm. And um, even then, some of the weird little things that we've done over time, Winton had had the track. You got Maroolan. Like, what yeah. a great facility for for rallycross. You're never going to get a massive crowd there. But um, as a concept, rally cars are cool. Rallying's awesome, but it's it's such a hard thing to do because it's yeah. out in the boonies. It's hard to get to. It's hard to look after punters out there. But uh, anything that sort of brings that style of motorsport to the punters is a good thing. Yeah, and that that's what this the Battle of Jack's Ridge was. It took it to the punters. You can see almost the whole stage from the big hill there in the paddock um, contained. Wasn't car against car, but this is what's bugged me. And I, I wrote an op-ed about this on the race talk last year after the Australian Hill Climb Championships at Mount Panorama. That like Australia loves a shootout. <laughs> so I, I know of no outside of qualifying for the Indy Five Hundred and the Goodwood Hill Climb. The, at the Festival of Speed, I know of no nation that gets behind one car having a massive dip on a racetrack outside of this place in the world. So, but it's just not promoted properly. Um, and hill climbing, for for it's grassroots motorsport, but it could be so much more than it is because those cars are amazing. And I think the Kiwis proved it for me on the weekend. One car against the clock and there's huge people there, live TV, and it's a great show. Like, I think there could be so much more of that, and it's really cost-effective motor racing to stage as well. You, you look at World Time Attack. 
Yes. It has a huge following. It's the biggest thing at Sydney Motorsport Park every year. Yeah. It's out of control. These guys spend uber budgets on these cars to blast around there for a few laps and destroy some tyres and set ridiculous lap times. Imagine if that effort went into building some sports enhance. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. (laughs) It's great. It doesn't really compute with me because for Mm. mine, I love car racing and I, I understand the attraction of it. I understand why everyone does get all frothed up about it. I love hill climb. Like some of those, you go to those championship hill climb events in Australian championship or a, a decent state championship where all the big guns, you know, the Gary West, yeah. or Peter Gumley back in the day, these cars are ridiculous. Like the tires have to get up to temperature in one corner. Like yeah. that's how they operate. They're yeah, just correct. Yeah. Just absolutely flat strap from the word go a track that's a kilometer long and they just set ridiculous speeds. Yeah. And my, my point, Shebeck's about the hill climbing stuff I, I talked about earlier was that what annoyed me about it was that there was no thought to the show put into that event. Mm. So it wasn't, let's build and build and build this so that the final thing on the weekend, uh, and I think it was Malcolm Osler in his outrageous hill climb mm. thing and um, and another mate with a, a Cosworth powered Delara or something like that. I, I forgive, forgive me for forgetting the names. It's, it, build to that it needed to build to that crescendo so you get people hyped up which is what goodwood does but i I think if you surveyed the four of us at team on the grid and trt like three of our top 10 favorite parts of the supercar championship each year are the adelaide 500 shootout the gold coast shootout and the bathurst top 10 shootout single car against the clock but on sketchy tracks at full noise maximum attack it's great television and it's staged. So it builds and builds and builds and builds. And that's what I loved about this event in New Zealand on the weekend. It was, it was a knockout. If you didn't perform on your run, you didn't progress forward. And I think hill climbing in Australia could be so much better than what it is. Um, if they take in a bit of the show. So maybe, maybe we should be promoting it. I don't know, but um, I loved it. I, I thought it was a cool initiative and a great, a great example of our sport making up for a bad situation, which in this case was New Zealand losing a round of the WRC because of COVID and everything going on uh, and coming up with something bloody cool in its place, which is what supercars did this year. So yeah, I, I thought it was worthy of talking about and also how unbelievable Shane Van Gisbergen is as a driver. When did they last have a hill climb at Bathurst? Uh, last, well, weekend. Last, last, last weekend. Last weekend, yeah. Okay, but there you go. The Australian Championships were there last, what, November, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. They start, uh, start opposite the winery on Mountain Straight but and uh, blaze up to uh, uh, to Reed Park. At Bathurst, they run multiple different ones. They have yeah. one that uh, goes up Mountain Straight, finishes at McPhillamy. They have one that starts at Forest Elbow, goes the wrong way back up to McPhillamy. Oh, I can't, oh, can't cop that. Well. No, it's pretty rad. And they've got another one that just goes down through the shoot, uh, mm. through the chase. Through the so chase, they've got different yeah. – uh, they have weekends, they're club events where they run all three. So Fantastic. they sort of I, I can't abide by going – I can't abide going the wrong way. Well, it's, it's all good except for that uh, head-on that you're going to have into the end of the wall coming into the S's, uh, yeah. coming into the dipper there. Yeah, correct. Big that's, that's, there, that's, that's an enormous pretty. shunt. Yep. I, I've never, ever driven Bathurst the wrong way. Road I car – uh, have you? No. Yeah, with the Kellys, they, their traditional Bathurst first lap is the wrong way, which is it? sort of sets up their race weekends. It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it probably explains why they haven't won it for a while. <laughs> hey, we talking about uh, beautiful cars. There was a, an absolutely gorgeous-looking car that did a lap or two of Queensland Raceway this week, the Ford Fusion NASCAR 
that Marcus Ambrose took to victory at Watkins Glen in 2008. Our old mate uh, Brett Crusher Murray uh, getting involved in bringing that car down, giving Brody Kostecki a bit of a drive of, uh, of that thing this week. Uh, Mark, you had a bit to do with Marcus. This was just before your time, though, wasn't it? It was a bit before my time, but uh, I know Crails is on board with me once again. NASCARs are just rad bits of kit. Mm. And this is something that, I mean, obviously, this one has special sentimental value to Australia. So there's a premium there. And you don't have cars with that sort of history with the Ambrose attachment that pop up every day in Australia. So it's a, a very special car from that standpoint, but you go shopping online. There's a lot of different retailers over there for secondhand NASCARs and parts and whatnot. They're cheap. Yeah. NASCARs have got the most impressive roll cage you've ever seen in your life, but the Dahmer doesn't. They build yeah. a new one every week. You know, you can buy secondhand cars over there for 30,000 American dollars, a roller for 30,000 current, you know, spec that you could tart up and potentially race in the cup series if you had a charter or if you could qualify it's incredible and you've got these supercars out here that cost six hundred thousand dollars or you know the chassis alone cost a lot of money whatever they do for this gen 3 they've got to look at how nascar can stick together all that tube build something that's super super safe you know they're doing ridiculous speeds and have massive shunts and 99 times out of 100 the drivers walk away and they're a disposable commodity for 30 mm-hmm. grand for a secondhand car you don't mind if it gets torn up whereas if you bin your four hundred thousand dollar supercar you are in all sorts of tears so i hope that uh the supercars folk sort of take a few lessons from how they do these things over in the states that said the next generation nascar over there they're looking at supercars things like uh six-speed uh sequential uh transaxles in them center lock hubs there's a lot of supercar style irs IRS Mm. that they're going to implement it's going to make these nascar space age there's a few luddites over there that are really concerned about all this outrageous technology that they're putting into this their next gen car whereas i think supercars should look at nascar and how to make the cars cheaper yeah there's a happy medium somewhere they've been testing the new cup car on the charlotte roval it was their first roval test they and, loved it yeah, yeah and, and drivers saying it's, it's pointier more aggressive they love the six-speed sequential gearbox and it's the same gearbox they use in a supercar which i think is where they cherry picked it from yep um but i loved it it very nascar one of the stories i read when they confirmed some of the specs for it, it was a full story complaining about moving to a center lock <laughs> wheel nut a single nut rather than the five lug nuts that they've had since um since the baby jesus was a boy so it was um yeah which is funny but that it's a fundamental change to the way they do pit stops isn't it why did you have to focus on baby Jesus? What's wrong with the well, old it could be, the it, beard? Well, because I'm implying that it was when he was young and the, which is older. And I only say this because that was... I apologise to anyone who no, no. doesn't... I only say because it was a joke, of course, in Talladega Nights. Of yes, which it was, which is what I which, was channelling. Because yeah, we I understand that. Car. And yeah. Connor and I had the rite of passage on the weekend because it was the first time he had actually seen... Talladega Nights. We watched it on Netflix oh, right. over the Excellent. weekend. So very good. I do yes. love Fig Newtons. Yes, it's dangerous and inconvenient, but I do <laughs> love Fig Newtons. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, let's stop that right there. Uh, what else we got to talk about? I, I want to actually get your thoughts on Lewis Hamilton. Wrapped mm. up his seventh world championship on the weekend. One in amazing fashion. I went to bed with 20 laps to go, and he was still fifth. It's I good think race. At the time. 
<laughs> just amazing when I woke yeah. up the next morning and found out he had won by 30 seconds. I thought, how the hell did that happen? It was a good race. Really good race. And proof again that when you take all the grip away from those cars, it's actually bloody good motor racing. Um, yeah, really, really entertaining Grand Prix. And, and Lewis, he's a polarizing chap. Always has been. Um, quite rightly uses his position to articulate his beliefs and that is entirely fine by me. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, if, if you are that successful in your chosen field and you are a public figure renowned the world over, then go your hardest mate. As long as you're not advocating terrible things. Um, like I think people would be more upset if he was a Donald Trump supporter, for example, and apologies to any listeners, if you do support Donald Trump, but he's an idiot. Um <laughs> Written and spoken by Richard Crow. Uh, Crow, yes. Not the views expressed may not be those of on the grid. Yes, correct. Um, apologies. There goes this year's award. Yeah, sorry, but <laughs> oh, the voting's already happened. We are, it? So yeah, it has. Yeah, we're all right for this year. <laughs> we're um, a bastion of truth and honesty, if nothing else, on this program. Um, oh, well, I was asked this question. I, I, I was asked this question though on Perth Radio during the week, and I said exactly that. I said while he will probably go down in history as having his name against 90% of the records in Formula One when he finishes, mm. the question of whether he was the best driver or not will be answered by people's opinion of what they thought of Lewis Hamilton, not of his driving. Yeah, that probably. But it, it, it comes back to the old argument of it's impossible to compare eras anyway. So yeah. what's the agreed, point? Agreed, agreed. Um, but you have to look at it in isolation that for all bar one year, he smoked his teammates and good teammates like mm-hmm. Fernando Alonso, Jensen Button, Bottas is no mug. He's no Hamilton, but he's no mug. Like he's won 13 races or whatever it is in his career. A, a world and champion he, was a teammate of his. Well, and he's, he's destroyed them. So for the most part, so and, and in the earlier days at McLaren, they didn't have the best car and he was still a winner and he won world championships. And on that, Rich, when he was picked up by McLaren, he was the chosen one, wasn't he? Yeah. There was all the buzz. Like Correct. McLaren picked him up from mm. cadet go-karts, and he was the chosen one. And it goes back to the thing I said a couple of weeks ago, is that success breeds success. Being the best driver, you deserve the best paycheck from the best team. Yeah. And it's no surprise that you go and win all the races. Correct. Does it? It's, it's if he wasn't it the best driver, he wouldn't be driving for the best team. No, it's the ultimate... Over- yeah, it's the ultimate example of a, a democratic world, isn't it? In that, in that the best do rise to the top in every respect, and and the best team in in sport, the best teams are the ones that win. So, yeah, I, I've never bought that. Uh, the the whole anti Lewis, oh, he's only winning because he's in the best car. I, I I don't think it matters. It's either way. These are thousand horsepower cars. They're the fastest Formula One cars ever made. Fastest racing cars ever made. Except for last weekend. Except for last weekend, and he, but but pro- last weekend is probably the ultimate example of how good he is, because he didn't have the fastest car. Yeah, it was not the fastest race car that weekend. Struggled to qualify in the top five, um, but just through good management, great race craft, good pace throughout the race and consistency, he worked his way to the front, and smart decisions from the team to get him there as well. And, and the, the ultimate example of that was when he overrode them at the end, they wanted to pit him for a safety pit stop for a new set of tires. He said, no, 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 pit lane's too slippery. I'm staying out. I'm going to chance it in case, even if the rain came. Brilliant call. Fantastic. Won the race, won the world championship by winning the race. Um, 
it, it will be a travesty if he's not knighted um, for his services to motorsport in the UK. But but what he does outside of that for all the awareness stuff and the charitable stuff he does as well. So no, he's, he's, a, he's a great driver. The, Formula One's littered with strange cats. Look at Jacques. Yeah, yep. he's oh, the strangest. Yeah. You know, like he. He throws shade on the strangeness that Lewis has. Yeah. <laughs> just a, yes. all different characters. They're completely different yeah. cats, but they, they're good on the racetrack and they deserve their world championships. But it was a cool race. It was it a race. Not a thriller, but it was a really, really intriguing race. But I loved watching them drive. And some of the car control moments in that race were worthy of world rally spec stuff. Yeah. And I, I think I tweeted that during the race. Like as I said, these things have got a thousand horsepower, and, and I, it's not Formula One are still terrible at promoting how fast these cars are and how challenging they are. So, and on a terrible racetrack with zero grip, on a wet, terrible racetrack, the way they were driving these cars and they mostly human, yeah, mostly keeping them on the island though was phenomenal, and some yeah. of the saves were extraordinary. So. Yeah, a very, very cool motor race. Really, really enjoyed it and rated its ass off here in Australia as well because it started at the very family-friendly time of nine o'clock on uh, the Eastern Seaboard in Victoria, New South Wales. So, um, yeah, get I can get behind that. Early European races, mega. A couple of races in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi to finish off the F1 season. Boys, always great to catch up with you. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Hopefully we got a... Um, <laughs> We didn't reciprocate very well there, did we, Mark? Thanks, Shebex. Mm. It's always great to speak to you as well. We love it. Uh, hopefully, we've got a uh, supercar calendar next week. It looks like oh, it's not far away. It's been a bit of a saga, but it looks like uh, 13 races, every state and territory on the cards once again. And I can just file the little piece that I may or may not have already pre-written about South Australia potentially missing out in a round. So I think okay, cross is averted there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Do goodness. Want... I don't know if I could have yeah. stood that. That that would have been the end of it. Oh, there was some, there was some tear ups. That would have been the end of it. Yeah, no, it would have been bad. But yeah. uh, I think we're okay. I think yeah. we're okay. Beautiful. Look forward to that. All right, boys. Catch you next week. Ciao. Uh, Mark Walker and Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. We thank you for joining us as well. Look forward to catching you right here on either the Radio Show Limited's RS1 or mypodcasthouse.com.